What's up everyone? Welcome back to Off The Chain, the backbone for storytelling across builders, creators, and collectors within Web3. Each episode, we dive into how these technologists use the power of blockchain to build businesses and foster creativity. Today, we've got Scott Lowen, co-founder and CEO of Candy Digital, a next-generation sports and culture digital asset platform providing authentic objects and experiences that deepen fan engagement and connect people to their passions. Prior to Candy, Scott was a seasoned finance exec, which included time at Moore Capital, acting as COO, overseeing a $15 billion in assets under management. Today's podcast covers Scott's leap into Web3, building tailored fan experiences for clients of Candy, which include Major League Baseball, Netflix, and the WWE, a dive into Candy's recent fundraise, and much more. Enjoy. Scott. It is an absolute pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Dylan. Excited to be here. Wonderful. So I know who you are, but let's just set the stage here. Can you just share your name and your current role? Yeah. So my name is Scott Lowen. I am the co-founder and CEO of Candy Digital. And for those who are unaware, do you mind just sharing what Candy Digital is? Yep, Candy Digital is a next generation digital collectible and fan engagement company focused on sports, entertainment, and culture. That is great. And so you have a very interesting background. And so prior to Candy, you were in the financial services industry. And one of your roles was being the COO of a alternative investment management company where you oversaw everything from portfolio management, risk management, execution trading, global technology, across a 425 person global staff. So obviously pretty heady stuff. And around 2017, you got into blockchain through a finance lens. And before we get into 2022 and your conversation with Mike Novogratz and becoming the CEO of Candy, I'm curious, within those three years, why didn't you professionally get into the blockchain world, whether it be DeFi, crypto, or NFTs? But from my understanding, you didn't really dive into NFTs until 2020. Yeah, listen, it's a, it's a great question, and you're, you're absolutely right. My, um, I guess, intro to blockchain and, and crypto was actually back in like 2013. So I'm a MIT alum and, uh, you know, have a bunch of different friends and colleagues that I stay connected with. And one of them in particular was uh, running some early experiments on Bitcoin. This is another colleague who sort of came out of the finance industry got interested in blockchain and, and sort of what the use cases were going to be for Bitcoin, really wanted to test, you know, was this going to be a new payment mechanism? Is it a new store of value? Is it a new sort of transaction processing mechanism? Was there, what, what was adoption going to look like? And so I, I followed those early experiments. This, this was one where uh, they gave every freshman at MIT a hundred bucks worth of Bitcoin and just saw what happened, right? How many of those people sold it immediately? How many of those people tried to, you know, buy a, a hamburger with it? How many of those people held on to it, et cetera? And so always interested in sort of the intersection of technology and finance and, you know, kind of figuring out what's next. In 2016, 2017, I paid more attention and, and started to, you know, kind of dive in a bit more around ICOs and really thinking about, okay, what was the, um, what was going to be the impact uh, if I thought broadly about my career and my career was 
25 years in, in finance, banking, and trading, and asset management. How is this new technology going to disrupt the finance world? What does it mean now for this new asset class to start to get adoption from institutional investors, from hedge funds, from individuals? And ultimately, you know, was this a, mm -hmm. 10 years before there was real impact or was this 10 months before things were really going to start moving? And so that was that was kind of what I, what I dug in on. And I guess what I would say is, you know, what I saw in the ICO space was exciting, but ultimately this big question around um, is the technology getting ahead of itself relative to the regulatory environment and the incumbents and ultimately what was going to be that path. Um, it didn't feel like it was the time to sort of jump in with, with both feet, other than as an individual investor, which I started to get much more active in. Fast forward kind of through, you know, crypto winter, 1819, right, uh, and, and sort of the advent of, of DeFi and, and starting to understand how many of the great developers were actually, you know, brought into the space working on projects, starting to develop real apps. And, you know, it, it kind of renewed my, my focus and my interest in saying, okay, we see real institutional adoption of crypto as an asset class. We're starting to see real practical applications, particularly, you know, in the finance space and around DeFi. Where, where did I want to play? And maybe, I don't know, um, counterintuitively, because my whole career had really been built around finance, before I was a finance guy, I was an architect. And so I've always had this sort of creative side to what I was doing and, you know, learning more, you know, I, I sort of saw CryptoKitties when they happened and, you know, kind of marked that moment and, and thought it was interesting. But as I sort of started to understand a little bit more and think more about what the power of NFTs were, particularly from the creative lens and this idea of putting power back in the hands of creators, right, democratizing access to content, um, kind of squeezing out the, you know, the, the middlemen, whether those were gallery owners or music companies or gaming companies or whatever, or not squeezing them out, but at least changing the, the dynamics. That to me was really exciting. So for me, taking my career in finance, my interest in technology and love of technology, and then sort of my passion for the creative sector and putting that together in the NFT space, that's what really lit the fire. That's very, very interesting. And I've got two more questions about your background. You previously have mentioned that you enjoyed the pace of change in the world of finance. And of course, Web3 and NFTs definitely has a very fast pace of change as well. Would you say that the two paces are similar or are there key differences? I would say that there, there's no question that... Uh... You know they they follow similar tracks. Um, I you know I I love to use the line from the, the the bankless guys that you know crypto speed runs the history of finance and the and the history of of you know of human governance in certain ways, right? And I think what we've just seen is the the acceleration of development, adoption, excess, you know retracement, and then sort of you know getting ready for the next phase has just been massively compressed. I think that's a global phenomena, frankly, like that's the world that we live in today, you know, real time transfer of information. And I think in the crypto space, because it's such a passionate community, 
right? And one that is, you know, has, has a bunch of motivations, you know, some economic, some technological, some sort of philosophical. It just feels like all, all of that has pushed that those cycles to be, you know, shorter and higher, right? The sign curves are the same. But the compression makes the highs high and the and the and the lows lower, and they happen with much more frequency. Thank you so much for that answer. That is really really interesting. And so diving into 2020 and your role as CEO of Candy, like I mentioned earlier, you've been connected to Mike Novogratz, who's the CEO of Galaxy, for a few years, and even worked together at different points of your career. During conversations where you discuss being the CEO of Candy. What initial hesitations did you have? So, yeah, Mike, Mike and I have been friends and business partners for a long time. You know, we, we met in our Goldman Sachs days, and then I uh, worked closely as his partner at Fortress Investment Group. We run or ran together one of the big nonprofits in New York City for Hudson River Park Friends. And so, you know, Mike has always been a good friend and a good thought partner. And when we were sitting down in, in 2020, Really, the, the, the business that has become Candy was one that certainly had blockchain as kind of a core component, but this was the middle of the pandemic, right? This was sort of August, September of 2020. And what we were really talking about is we were talking about uh, collectibles. We were talking, you know, wide ranging conversation about, you know, what was happening with, with crypto and institutional adoption. Where was that ultimately going to go to bring everyday people into the space? You know, we talked about art and, you know, I was excited about, as I, as I said, sort of the idea of empowering artists, but thinking about knowing, having worked with artists, each artist is a unique snowflake. They have their own agenda in terms of their vision and what they want to create. And it's, it's hard to kind of build a business around that, 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 that scales. But thinking about where were there other communities that were really passionate where the the experience of being a fan, being a community member was one that was sort of multimodal and how could a digital asset actually enhance and extend that experience? And so Mike uh, and his brother, Matt, who's my co-founder, had been incubating and thinking about businesses and sports collectibles, um, physical ownership, fractional physical ownership, ownership on chain. And, and that really was the that was kind of the seed that became candy where we said, okay, what, what does this look like to take something that has real cultural value, real personal value as a, as a collectible, Babe Ruth's jersey, right? And, you know, that, that ob an object like that is going to sit in a museum or maybe some really rich person is going to own that as, you know, at, as kind of their prized possession. But how could you take a, a cultural object that's important to, a, you know, not just a community today, but, you know, is historically important? And how could you democratize access through that, through f fractional ownership of the physical item and ultimately sort of on-chain ownership um, of, of items like that? And so th that conversation is sort of what came, hey, the physical business and the digital physical equivalent, the fractionalization is interesting. But really, you know, digital assets can play lots of different roles, right? As collectibles, as keepsakes, as as fan tokens, as loyalties and re loyalty and rewards, and that ultimately is is what became Candy. And so, as you started building twenty five plus years of being hardcore in the finance industry, you now enter into let's call it the entertainment industry. How has your management style changed? 
Um, you know, I, I'd say it hasn't changed a lot. My, you know, the, the, the times where I was the most successful and the most fulfilled in my career was always around bringing really talented groups of people together to kind of work, you know, jointly on a project that everyone was excited about. What was, you know, what's shifted is that, you know, the diversity of our team from technologists to creators to business people to marketers, et cetera, and our focus, which is very much around our big partners like Major League Baseball or Netflix, et cetera, is equally on our individual customers, right, D to C. And so I think the toolkit that I developed as a business builder and a manager has stayed relatively constant. But the but the types of personalities, you know, the the environment that to, that we need to create to nurture someone who's a you know a creator versus someone who's you know an accountant or someone who's you know a business de- developer is just a little bit different than than it's been in the past. Externally, when you're talking to leaders, it's now been eight months of this market slowdown. And so when you're talking to Web2 CEOs, sports league commissioners, and other leaders in the entertainment industries that you're trying to pitch, what is their take on the industry now? And how has Candy shifted its pitch to get them interested in your product? So so it's interesting. We haven't really changed our pitch that much. It, I, I, I would say, you know, if you and I were having this conversation 12 months ago, right at sort of peak NFT or, you know, the, the, the most recent peak NFT, uh, our, our pitch would be very much the same, which is, you know, while the market was on fire and while, you know, volumes were going through the roof and, you know, projects were, you know, raising tremendous amounts of money and, and you know, selling PFP projects and floor places were going crazy. Our view was that, you know, we didn't know how long it was going to last, but, you know, this this was a uh, unnatural environment and that uh, at some point the, you know, the air was going to get let out of the bubble to a certain degree. That said, our, our real excitement was about the long-term opportunity. And so we were never in the business of kind of creating the next drop, right? Or, or saying, hey, listen, you know, let, let, let Candy do your, do your project and then you know, we'll move on and do something else. We've always been in the business of being a long-term partner to really help you know, branded IP owners come to market with a, a set of products and experiences that leverage the technology, but really extend what it means to be a, a customer, right? And so our product set isn't just, you know, a single digital collectible, right? We, we certainly, we, we leverage what it means to be a fan and, and to be a collector. I mean, that's one of the things, everyone at Candy collects something, right? Um, you know, whether you collected sport cards or you, your sports trading cards, or you collected uh, comic books, or you collected, you know, vintage vinyl, we all know what it means to have an emotional attachment to content, right? And that's that's what gets us excited about it. But we also know that, you know, part of that customer experience is marking your journey as a fan, right? It's it's getting that digital ticket when you go to the game, right? And not buying it, just getting it, right? And that becomes a record of your experience. We know that, um, you know, a video highlight could be collectible or it could just be, you know, a great keepsake for something that you watched on TV when your favorite player, you know, got a home run or, you know, made that diving catch. And so 
mapping out that fan experience and doing it in a way that's relevant to each community, right? Our products for Major League Baseball are different than our products and experiences for Stranger Things, right? Because the fans of Stranger Things, um, you know, they don't feel any less passionate about the storyline that the baseball fans do, but the way they engage with that story, what's interesting to them is is very different, right? And so we, we really think about what that what that fan model is. And that pitch was the pitch that we gave 12 months ago. And at that time, some of the folks that we were talking to said, hey, that sounds great, but how big's the check you're gonna write? Now that the world has changed, I, you know, they understand that, you know, some of those checks may not be available anymore. And so, you know, they're they're now taking a, I'd say a more uh, measured approach to what the opportunity is going forward. You know, you bring up the word pitch and the first thing that comes to mind right now is if I am working at a Web2 company, any of the leagues, et cetera, the amount of NFT companies that are coming to pitch me is seemingly endless right now. And from my experience, you've got IP owners who have developed NFT programs where they're working across a bunch of different partners. And then you have others who have gone with exclusive agreements with single partners, such as the MLB and Candy Digital. What's your take on which lane is more effective for these brands? I think the question is for, for any brand, right? Whether you're a sports league or an entertainment company or a consumer products brand is ultimately what are your objectives, right? If your objective, if you, if you think about digital assets as just a new revenue stream, hey, we, we, got, we, we, have new, we have a new place to license our IP. We're gonna auction that off to the highest bidder and you know that that's that's what we're going to do is we're going to maximize our revenue that will lead you down the path of slicing and dicing those rights right having multiple partners some are going to win some are going to lose etc those relationships last 3 to 5 years you wash rinse and repeat and you and you sort of do it again right and listen brands and ip owners have a great history of generating hundreds of millions of dollars doing that so so nothing nothing wrong with that i think the the other strategy and certainly, again, kind of our approach to the space with our partners is to say, we're in the really early stages of what this market means, you know, what the use cases for digital assets are and how your fans and customers are going to engage. And so rather than going and trying to confuse the market with six different products and try to tell the same story five different ways, Let's work together to, you know, develop a set of products because we know like a one size fits all strategy isn't going to work. It might work for a small segment, but it isn't going to bring the broadest group of people into the space and get them coming back and delivering value. And so, you know, listen, that was the conversation we had with baseball and, you know, they've been a spectacular partner along the way as, as we're both learning about how the space and the, and the customer evolves. When Candy puts together these programs, I know that you always put together a gamification layer on all of these projects, such as getting a physical item with an NFT after collecting a challenge. In the past, you've discussed going beyond this, such as getting tickets to a game or beer from a sponsor. What's been the recent appetite from your partners or clients to build these deeper utilities outside of just digital collectibles? So I think our, our, our partners understand it. You know, we when we talk about the opportunity in the space, 
we talk about a continuum, right? What, what we're not saying is we're not saying, hey, listen, people used to collect cardboard trading cards. That's dead. It's all digital trading cards, right? What, what we're saying is there's a continuum of digital only, digital physical, and digital experiential. And so to really create a vibrant ecosystem, you're going to have some customers who really do believe cardboard trading cards are dead. I only want digital trading cards. I mean, one of, one of our biggest customers, um, you know, said to me, he said, listen, I've been a baseball card collector for 40 years. And I know that if I had a time machine, I would go back in time to when the uh, cigarette cards came out, the Honus Wagners of the world. And I would have bought as many as I possibly could, right? And he's like, I'm living in that moment right now with the future of, of digital trading cards. And so I'm all in on, you know, I'm all in on candy. I'm all in on, 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 on digital collectibles. But we have other customers who say, hey, listen, this is great. This is an extension of what I'm already doing. I may or may not be a card collector, but I also want to be able to put something on my shelf, right? I also want to be able to hang something on my wall because my, my UX for the digital collectible isn't at a place yet where I can share that and share my love and my passion quite the same way, right? And then we have, we have other customers or some of those same customers who say, hey, you know what? I love this. I love completing my team set, but you know what? Like, I'm now proving my fandom in a, on chain in a way that I haven't been able to before. Like, yeah, I want to I want to win. I, I want to go to the game and get better seats. Right. Or I, I want to be part of that, you know, lottery for the signed baseball or, or, or whatever it is. Right. And so I think we're always going to see this continuum. And, you know, when you start to get into this conversation of like, what's the metaverse and what's that going to look like or whatever, you know, to me, it, it just means it's going to be a, a, a richer experience of digital and physical, right? And whether that's AR, whether that's, you know, VR, whether that's a digital collectible married to a physical item and you can, you know, express one in, in virtual reality and one in your house, that's that's what that mix is. And it's just going to be, you know, it's not going to switch from from IRL to, to VR. It's just going to become much more integrated going forward. That's a super thoughtful answer. Thank you for sharing that. I've got two more topics for you and then I'll let you go off with your day. One is on the team and recent investments and then what's next. So you mentioned that the pitch hasn't changed over the past year, but has the team shifted the product roadmap over the last year? So the product roadmap hasn't fundamentally changed. What we're doing in kind of the beginning of this year is uh, leaning more heavily into the engagement component of our products. And so when we think, I think there's, there's kind of two things that we're doing. One, we're taking what we learned over the last two years around our, our product set, and we're saying, okay, how, how do we continue to add value to our customers, not just through sort of challenges, uh, collection challenges, burning challenges, et cetera, but what are the other, other ways that our customers can display these assets, curate these assets, play games with these assets, and connect with the community? Um, and then also, how can we reward our customers, right? How, how can we do that, not just through airdrops, but through loyalty programs that, again, might result in real life experiences, might result in, in physical assets in, in a different way. So that level of kind of support for <clears throat> engagement, gamification, challengeification, and, and rewards, that's a key component. The, the other is with our own kind of technology, it's 
using what we've built in order to sort of create the products that we have and, and turning those into tools that can allow our partners and also our existing partners and potentially new partners to start to create some of their own products with those tools as well. Because ultimately, if I, again, I'll keep going back to baseball because, um, you know, we've had a, long, a longer history with them, but the same applies to WWE and to, to NASCAR, et cetera, as well, is that, you know, these organizations have great marketing departments and creative departments and things like that. And so, you know, allowing people to use our tools to create their own sort of customized versions to be able to offer those to their fans, right, on a, on a token-gated basis or a limited basis, like, you know, that's the natural extension of the ecosystem that we're building out. I've got one question as it relates to recent investments. So your team recently announced another round of fundraising. And with that, Fanatics, who is part of the joint venture to launch the company, sold its stake. Can you share with us what's behind Fanatics divesting its position from Candy? And how does that affect the future roadmap of the business? Yeah, so Fanatics was a fantastic partner to get started in the space with. And, you know, when we decided we wanted to lean in to sports and we said, you know, who do you want to partner with? You know, Fanatics was sort of number one, two and three on the list. Right. You know, spectacular relationships with uh, leagues and teams, great relationships with athletes, et cetera. And a, and a great customer base. And so they were critical to us, you know, kind of getting off the ground and, you know, helping us to to get our relationships, you know, up and running with, with baseball and, uh, and, and others. I think what we found over time, particularly over the course of last year, the beginning of last year, Fanatics bought Tops. You know, Tops is a storied brand, right? Legendary physical collectibles business. And Fanatics obviously has a huge uh, apparel business and is now, you know, building a, a, a gaming and, and betting business. And so, you know, Fanatics' view of what the role of digital assets was going to be within Fanatics um, was just much more closely tied to their core businesses, right? To their to their physical products, a physical jersey, a physical baseball card, et cetera. And so for us, you know, even in a down market, right, I think we see the opportunity in Web3 in the role that the digital asset can play around broader fan engagement connection to these communities in just a different way, right? We're a digital first company. Fanatics is a physical uh, first company. And so that was part of the catalyst for, you know, for, for making that change. And then with our, you know, Galaxy continues to be a core investor and, and key partner, at, but bringing consensus on and consensus mesh as kind of our new partners really was to help us accelerate that Web3 connectivity, right? In, in many ways, Candy has kind of built itself as a Web 2.5 company, and we're now ready to, you know, really shift into the, the Web3 community. And so having going from a majority ownership of Fanatics, right, as a kind of subsidiary of a corporate structure now to an independent company with real investors who believe in the future of Web3 is, is just a, a, big, a big move for us. Last set of questions, and we're almost there in terms of what's next. From your perspective, what would be a short-term solution or a long-term solution to get more people interested in NFTs? Let me answer the what's next piece and then I'll, and then I'll get to that. So, you know, what, what I'm really excited about this year, both for Candy as well as for the industry at large, is what I think is kind of the next phase of how we take the ecosystem that's developed 
and rationalize it and make it much more attractive and, and easier for customers. And so what do I mean by that? Over the last two years, right? No, if you were if we were having this conversation at the end of 2020, right? It's a time I like to say very few few people outside of crypto knew how to spell NFT, right? No one no one really knew what it was. You know why I would want to own one, what what the potential was. That all changed in the beginning of 21 with Top Shot and you know lots of capital and lots of companies entering the space. Now that we're sort of back down to a period where, you know, volumes are lower, prices are lower, you know, some of the tourists who showed up have left and the settlers are there building. It's a great time for the industry to kind of come together and say, okay, we've built all these islands. Now, how do we create archipelagos, right? How do, how do we start to connect, build the connections that are really going to be really meaningful for customers going forward? And so that's really what, what we're excited about and leaning into is, you know, We've built a great platform, a great set of partners, a great you know great community and customer base. Who are the other world class players out there that have built great sustainable businesses that you know we want to bring together, right? Whether that's under the candy umbrella or whether that's forming you know strategic partnerships together. On the customer side, I think it's inevitable, right? And what what we see even in a down market is the interest level from brands and IP owners hasn't really changed. Right. What's changed is they had 120 people knocking on their door saying, hey, can I license your IP? Most of those folks are gone now or their or they, their answer, you know, their, their offer is a little bit different. But the interest in, in the understanding of what's the role the digital asset can play as a value add to the customer has only increased. And so customers are going to be brought into this journey whether they like it or not because their their favorite brands their favorite content their their favorite products are going to be entering this space right and, and that's the big opportunity that that we're really working towards scott i want to thank you so much for joining i truly am grateful for you taking the time to have this conversation with me i hope you have a wonderful rest of the week i wish you and candy the absolute best and once again thank you so much for joining off the chain this has been an absolute pleasure yeah pleasure is all mine dylan really appreciate the great questions and thank you so much for the interest of course talk to you soon that's it, everyone. Hope you enjoyed. Hit that subscribe button and we'll see you next time.